Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Living My Best Disabled Life. Today, we have Joseph Kepler, who's a TikToker, actor, and writer. Hi, Hi. thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. So, can we start by talking a little about your disability? I, I know you have CP, but I have a CP, too. So, like, not a single person with CP, like, it affects them. <laughs> it doesn't affect them the same way. No. Um it's so like individualized. Yes. Yeah, so, so for me, I was actually born HIV positive and my HIV affected my neurological system, which mimics cerebral palsy. So it affected the gray matter of my brain and it caused a lot of the same mobility function issues as cerebral palsy. So when I was diagnosed in 1990, that was the closest identifier they could give me for my physical disability. So it affects my mobility in my hips, it affects my leg function, and I had gone from a wheelchair to walker, walker to crutches, crutches to a cane, and now I just kind of toggle between all of those now. But that's the very shortened version of, of <laughs> what I go through over So here. basically it mimics it, and that they just couldn't find anything else. They just couldn't find anything else, and I mean, for all intents and purposes, it is cerebral palsy. That it's so it's the yeah. same exact effects of cerebral palsy, but it's due to HIV. So I was among a handful of people that that ever happened to. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard of that happening. Yeah, we were on the original. So when I was part of the test trials as a child, I was born a twin, and both my twin brother and I were affected in the exact same way. And we were brought to National Institute of Health and put on the original test trials for infants with HIV under Dr. Fauci. That's super cool. I mean, not, not cool. How did you start to like get into acting and writing? And then now, now then eventually you made it your way over TikTok, making like the sketch comedy kind of. Right. So the evolution, I, when I was in high school, I had actually wanted to get into auto mechanics and I was like, I'm really into cars at that time for some reason. Now I could not care less about cars in literally every way. But then I wanted to get into mechanics and my principal was like, oh, disabled kid, heavy machinery. No, thank you. Not a good idea. Let's throw you into theater. And I was like, well, I like film and TV. I was a latchkey kid. Sure. Let's Let's do theater. And it literally changed my life. I, up until that point, had not been out about being HIV positive because at that time in the early 90s, late uh, late 90s, early 2000s, HIV was still being stigmatized. It was still being, kids were being kicked out of schools, protested against. And so I had kept it in. And about at age 16, I started going to a theater camp in Florida and one of our theater teachers was like, I want to do an exercise with everyone. I want each person to go up on stage and look at their peers and tell the peers something they've never told anyone. And I was like, you know what? I'm 16. I'm tired of holding in this secret. I just have to go for it. And I went up on stage and I said, my name is Joseph and I'm HIV positive. And the overwhelming response was amazing. It, it gave me so much support. It really saved me at a time I needed to be saved. And I was very much struggling in high school with depression and just barely holding on, to be frank. 
And that hope and that power of support, I knew in that moment, I'm like, theater just gave me life and I'm going to give my life to theater. And I went full steam. When I graduated high school, my theater camp directors were like, if you're really serious about acting, come to California. They were a writing duo. So they were a husband and wife team that wrote a bunch of Disney sequels. So they wrote like Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas and Lion King Two and a Half and all those films. And so they're like, we'll help you get along. And so I picked up everything I had, which was not many things. And me and my two buddies, we drove across the country, moved to California, and I just dived in deep. I started going on auditions. I got into film school. I got my degree in producing. I got into producing a documentary on my life, and I just started learning the industry and eventually got my manager, got my agent, started doing film festivals with my documentary and creating connections and networking. And around 2016, I was able to start breaking into TV and doing guest stars and co-stars on shows like Chicago Med, CSI Cyber, Criminal Minds, a lot of the procedural stuff. Even though I loved comedy and I'm an improv trained UCB Upright Citizens Brigade comedy guy, I always did dramas. I was always doing the like very deep procedural roles, which, you know, our community is kind of locked into a lot of those hospital patients or like down on their luck of war vets. And the amount of war vets that I've been up for are too many for not being a war vet myself. Too many C4 vertebrae explosions from an IED where I play this bitter, sarcastic guy who just has a heart of gold, but in a sense of humor underneath. And you get used to the type. Yeah, there's a lot of stereotypes like that, that uh, film and TV just keeps overusing. Yeah. And so uh, eventually when the pandemic hit, my wife at the time, who was my girlfriend, was doing TikTok. And she was doing the comedy stuff and she's like, you should try it. You should, yeah, I think you'd be good at it. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to really go that route. And I'm like, well, if I do it, I'm just going to like post videos about the pets. That's all I'll do. And then it slowly became some about the pets. And then I did one about disability and ambulatory wheelchair users and then just kind of snowballed. And I started finding out like sketch ideas and working on that format and grabbing people right away and. I never thought I would get to a point of like a hundred thousand followers. I was just that was one of my questions. Like, like, did you ever think, oh, like I'm gonna have like a hundred thousand followers on TikTok just by sharing funny and relatable disability related content? No, and I just started doing what I thought was stuff that I wanted to see, and and it just started to relate to people. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then responding to those videos and answering questions and being open just kind of led me led me there so yes yeah. so uh more uh more to the like tiktok side do you like do you just come up like come up with the ideas and then you just like film it or do you like are you one of those people that like plan, uh plan it out so i i do like strategically I do both. What I'll often do, so it depends on the type of genre that I'm working in at the at the time. If I'm doing like a traditional sketch, I'll write both. I'll write all the characters. I'll write the lines. And then I let myself have fun with it in the moment. I'll improv some stuff that's not written. 
but I usually figure it out because like, especially with being a disabled performer and just our like physical abilities and sometimes like fatigue, I, you know, having a background in film, I try to really consciously do my shot list in a way that's going to be the most beneficial to what spoons I have. So I always want to know exactly the shots I'm going to do and how I'm going to cut it together. If I'm going to do wide shots, if I'm going to do medium clothes, if I'm going to do several clothing changes, if I'm going to do several characters, how am I going to shoot this in a way that is most conducive to my time? And it's also that thing of like, you find and you do it. I've done it millions of times. You kind of have to find the right amount of time you want to spend on things like this, because the more time you spend on it, the more you build it up in your head of it having to land and find an audience. So if the views don't match the time you spend shooting it, you start mentally and emotionally kind of put relying too much on it. And so yeah. over time, I've learned to shortcut a lot of things just for my own mental health and my own physical well-being, because the more you put into it, just then it better it better hit for you. And you're going to feel more stressed about it because you spent all this time editing it and getting the and right... And there's that perfectionism. Yeah, and you have to let go of it. Yeah. I learned in film school, a script is never done. It's ripped away from you. And that's just the truth. You can't sit on something until it's perfect because it's never going to actually be perfect. It's just going to f- stew. And eventually that feeling of when you put it out there is going to dissipate because you're not getting the response and energy that you put into it. So I'll do a multiple things, but sometimes I'll just throw, you know, it's so funny. There've been videos where I've just been like, I don't even know what I'm going to do here, but I'm just going to do stuff and see what happens. And those have hit big. And there've been times where I've literally figured out every detail and it's gone nowhere. So you just have to be free and open. Yeah. And that's, what's fun about it. Yeah. I am like, okay. So like, I'm really obsessed with your videos. So like, I'll just spend hours just watching everything. Like, all, especially the ones about like the ambulatory wheelchair user stuff. Oh my God. Like so relatable. <laughs> A little too relatable sometimes. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it is. I mean, and it's, I know it's painful when you hit something and you're like, oh, that, that's too, that's too real. I'm sorry. That's too real. <laughs> it's, it's fun. I, I, I just like making them. And at this point, I've stopped worrying about like how many of the followers or what's going to go viral. For me, what makes me so happy is, is that is what you just said. That's the yeah. stuff that I worry about the most. If like, if only it ever hit a few five, like five to six people, who actually cared about it and it did something for them, then that's worth it. That's that's what I would do it for. You know, I kind of feel the same way about like podcasting and stuff. Like my, probably my podcast isn't at the like point that I'd want it to be, like listens wise and stuff. But as long as I like positively impact even the smallest group of people, yes. I, I don't really care about the listens or the plays i mean i do get discouraged but i don't know if it makes sense no i think you have to retroactively you know you have to reverse engineer the concept for yourself you have to go into it with just the desire to do the thing that you love or the thing that you want and then hope that that thing 
goes viral or goes finds the people it needs to find. You can't seek that first and then get to the thing you love. You're always going to fall short. You're just, you know, I see a lot of people on TikTok who are just chasing, chasing the trend or chasing that, like, what's hitting right now? What's, what do people laugh at or the lowest common denominator or all these things? And it's like, if you're not even doing the kind of content that you connect to, then even if that stuff goes well, who is that for? Cause that's not for you. That doesn't like sit in, in your heart and make you feel yeah. good in any way. That's just to get the number. If the goal is to get the number, there's plenty of ways to, to do that in a non-organic fashion. Doesn't it mean more Definitely. when you do the thing you want and that goes well? That to me, if I get 500 views on a video that I cared about that hit the 500 people who want that video means more to me if, than if I went up and said something crazy knowing the viewers are going to go for it and be like, well, I don't, I don't connect to that. That's just a fake thing I did. That's not me. So. Or do certain videos because they think that they need that for the views, but the views aren't really as important as making some sort of difference. Yeah. And even with the hundred thousand followers, it's not like that, you know, people see those numbers and like, I'm grateful. I really am. But you don't get a hundred thousand people don't get the video every day. A hundred thousand yeah. people don't see the videos you're doing daily. You're lucky if maybe a thousand do sometimes. And so at that point, don't worry about it. Just especially just, with the algorithm and stuff. Oh, I, I gave up. I, I've given up completely figuring it out. I don't even bother now. I just post and hope whatever happens happens. I used to get, I I had a really bad relationship with social media pre-pandemic. And it got to a point where I was like, I didn't know why I was doing it or who I was doing it for. And I always promised myself that going back into this stuff, I would have a healthier relationship to it and just know that at the end of the day, it doesn't define us. And we're human beings who can literally close the laptop or put down the phone and spend time with our loved ones and so this stuff is all bonus it's a bonus so what advice would do you think you'd give like any aspiring actors writers or even tiktokers who want to do like the type of tiktoks that you do i would say be honest just be honest just say the thing that you feel a little scared to say. If it feels too honest for you and you're like, oh, that's, oh, that's vulnerable. That's the thing. As I write, I work on features and I'm working on a novel right now. The thing that I always go back to, if I start writing something that feels scary because it's so honest, then I know I'm in the right spot and I need to go further with that. And I think that that's all you can do if you're going and being honest and you're pursuing this in a genuine way for yourself, then you're not going to fail. You're not going to, you're not going to be on the wrong side of things and limit your expectations for yourself. Just like, don't lose sight of why you want to do it. You know, it's, it's so easy. I feel like artists often lose their hobbies and the things that they enjoy. And because it becomes a business, you sort of forget why you did it in the first place. 
and I, you know, it's easy to do that as an actor. You start questioning yourself and like, do I even care about this? Why am I doing this as a writer? And you just have to remind yourself of like, what, remember when you were doing this and it was just for you and just do that thinking of is just for you. And the only difference is it's not, and you're going to post it, but keep reminding yourself that at the end of the day, this is for the teenage version of you that was writing in your room just cause with no idea that it was going to go anywhere. Yeah. I really like what you said about if it's like hard or difficult, then that means like it's, you're doing the right, you're doing it the right way because like, I'm, I'm currently like writing a um, memoir type like thing book of like mini essays on different disability related topics. And I'm realizing like, oh, it's, it's actually really hard to write this because it's like, I have to dig so deep back into my past that it's almost painful, but like painful in a good way. Yeah. It's cathartic. And and it's, it's, and it's so hard. It's not an easy thing to do. I, I have the benefit, I think. So I spent several years when I was producing a documentary on my life, I spent several years being on camera with a director in my face, what recording and going through my whole life and every aspect of my life being on camera. And then after we shot for a year and a half to two years, sitting in an editing room and watching myself and watching my life display over and over and over and cut down and put the most vulnerable things up there and seeing myself crying and doing all these things. And you eventually realize like, it's hard to have a mirror at yourself that often, but yeah. uh, and you start sharing things and you start going, we started going to festivals and touring and I start meeting people who knew my story and I didn't even know their name. And it would be wild and they'd bring up stuff about my life. And I'd be like, can, wh- wh- I'm sorry, who are you yet? Like, hi, like I, you, you know about my family and you know about my growing up and you know about my struggles. And I just would, was it Janet? Is your name Janet? Okay. Hi. And that experience definitely informed my later writing in terms of being honest, because I knew that even when there was things in the film that I was like, you know, that's so hard for me to look at, or, you know, that's so hard to know that I said that, or I, I felt that way realizing that I could step back and let it be there because if it felt uncomfortable and if it felt too real and if it felt scary for me, the fact that someone else connected to it means that it's actually not that scary and it's so much more relatable. And we like to believe that we're not. We like, In a weird way, we like to believe that our own kind of pain and our own kind of sadness is very unique to us. And I think that helps guide us in our main character journeys. But there's a unifying in that we all have a very specific kind of sadness and a very specific kind of pain that can be connected to one another. And instead of shying away from that, we should seek it out and we won't feel as lonely and we won't feel as in pain when we allow other people to see our true selves and connect to that and say, yes, my true self is actually as close to your true self. And we're not very different. I love that. It must be kind of weird if people just come up to you and be like, yeah, like, oh, I watched your documentary and I know all this stuff. And then like, you don't even know who they are. I don't even know. I've had it happen with TikTok. It's weird, but like, it's all, it must also be like, wow, I'm really making a difference. 
And I hope so. And, and then, and again, it's that like singular thing. We, we, we are reaching people on an individual level and we can't get caught up in the numbers. And like, you know, when I was early on doing TikTok, my wife would be like, you know, like I'd get like 4,000 people or 5,000 people. And she's like, just imagine 5,000 people sitting in front of you, staring at you. Like, imagine that. And like reminding me that like where other, I saw other people's numbers and I saw my own and just remembering, like, imagine if we saw that number, imagine even if we saw 500 people sitting in front of us, staring at us. That's huge. That's a huge number. That's a huge number of people you're connecting with and sharing with on a daily basis. That's amazing. Like, just don't lose sight of that. And then the individual people that you're connecting with, it's so, it's a very, very cool kind of world we're in and very scary, but it's also very cool. I mean, I know you said that you didn't, you went away from like social media for a while before starting TikTok, but um, I feel like social media has evolved in a good way, like in a really good way, especially for like disabled creators creatives because like it's so easy to connect with other creatives on social media and relate to them and like you could literally just dm someone if you really like what they posted or what they said there or they posted something they wrote or something and you know rather than in the old days where you had to email someone yeah or you didn't even know they were out there you know, I grew More up. That I mean, too. Yeah. If I hadn't, if I hadn't gone to like, at one point I had went to an all disabled school in middle school. And if I hadn't had that experience, I was up until that point, I was the only disabled person I knew in my public school. And then I went back to being the only disabled person I knew in my high school. But for that brief moment in middle school, I went to a school up in uh, Nassau County and it was wonderful. It was, it was wild. It was a, uh, kindergarten all the way to senior year all disabled students and watching and sharing experiences with every type of disability all over the course of those years and those ages really changed my perspective and if i hadn't had that it would have been a long time until social media came around the way that it did to realize like oh we're all out here and we can have this access now and these connections and we're not alone and when you're not alone in that way, you can then realize that you deserve so much more and you can create a support system and really do some advocacy work and activism because you suddenly realize you do, you, you deserve to have more self-worth. And if other people are having self-worth for themselves and they're doing things that I deserve to have that and you can see it, it's easy to convince yourself and gaslight yourself within your own community if you're the only type of person of that of your you know background to be like well this is the norm and this is what life is and i'm a born disabled you know a lot of the people who are born disabled kind of know that feeling of like you just kind of go through it and you know it's sometimes at least i found it's sometimes different like newly disabled people nowadays which i'm so grateful for are given a little bit more of a pamphlet and like a a guide than than yeah. i growing up to me it was yeah, like, that's, oh, a, that's an interesting point like i feel like a lot of times when you're an like a disabled person who was born disabled you're just you're giving 
in your childhood, you're maybe given a little more guidance. But yeah. then once you become an adult, they're just like, oh, go live your life. Yeah, goodbye. And you accept it because you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. That's how I've always done it. I mean, I was in LA for like years before I even knew that Accessoride was a thing and that there was like ways to get shuttle disabled people around. I was like taking subways and buses and walking everywhere. And I was like, well, this is just what you do because this is what my friend does. And I didn't until I met the disabled community and I got with my agent who was disabled at a disabled agency. I started meeting the community. I started realizing the resources that were out there and stuff that was available. And it was mind blowing to me because I had always just been like, well, this is just what you do because we're born this way and you just deal with it. And, and it changed and it evolved overnight. And suddenly all these wonderful activists who are newly disabled are showing me things that I, even though I've been disabled at that point for 25 years, had no clue existed. And it's just, you know, it kind of reminds me of, I use this analogy a lot, which is probably overused, but it's kind of like the, the frog in the, in the pod. It's like when you slowly boil something over a long period of time, the frog doesn't realize it's getting boiled. It's like as our community, if you're born disabled, then you slowly realize over time that you're not getting access to certain things and rights and people are treating you a little differently. It takes a while to break that cycle because you've just kind of accepted your circumstances. Where if you're just thrown into hot water, like a lot of the newly disabled people, you go, no, this isn't okay. No, no, I didn't. I wasn't treated this way when I was able-bodied. I know what I deserve in my life. And it's such a fascinating perspective change that is not. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. And that's like my wife. My wife is technically on the newly disabled side, even though she has Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So it was like a genetic disorder. But over the last like six to seven years, it started actually affecting her in a physical way. So that changed for her perspective. And she went from quote unquote able body to disabled. And so we always share that difference when we're out together. Yeah, I have some friends who were like born disabled. And I have friends who aren't born disabled and injured or their disability progressed at a different pace. And I, I do really see the difference in like a lot of, you're right. A lot of the other people who aren't born disabled, for lack of better words, like they won't, they won't take like, yeah, they won't. They won't <laughs> take anything. Like they'll be like, no, not to, like, I'm not normalizing this. This is not okay. This shouldn't be that way. Like there, there, a lot of them are more likely to go off. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. It's if you're you're used to a certain lifestyle, and then suddenly that lifestyle is ripped away from you you're going to be more prone to a thing as opposed to if you just grew up in a lifestyle that you never even knew wasn't the right one for you. You know, I think I also, I did, I distanced myself from like the disability community most of my life until I was like maybe early, early twenties, late teens. And like, I just didn't do anything disability related. I was like, okay, this is just my life. I'm just going to, let it be and i'm not gonna do anything to make it better for like yeah, yeah but then i realized like after i had seen a lot of disabled activists and stuff i was like actually i'm not just gonna sit around anymore yeah 
And it's it's a weird, it's a, it's like a soft eternalized ableism. You know, I, I mean, a lot of people don't want to talk about this and it's a little uncomfortable within the disability community. But like personally, I distanced myself too from the disabled community in my teens because it was this idea of like this eat or be eaten, this normalcy. You want to be taken seriously. You want to be seen as as everyone else. And sometimes when you're in that pursuit so deeply, you reject anyone that is remotely like you because you see how they're treated. And if they're not treated equally and if they're not treated as well, you don't want to be treated that way. And so you're like, no, no, don't let me in with that. That's not me. I'm this. And, you know, it's an uncomfortable thing to discuss, but it's important because you lose out on a sense of community. Sometimes you lose out on just in that fight to like achieve something for able-bodied people in this desire of like, I need to be seen by able-bodied people in order to be seen by the world. And that's not true. But when we do that, we exclude the disabled community and we miss out on so many things. And I, you know, I did it for so long, I would worry. And we have this distinction sometimes where we're worried. I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me every day. I'm an educated, lived person who I'm talked down to all the time. And it's this weird thing of like feeling like I have a cognitive disability, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is sometimes as disabled people, we then want to separate ourselves from the cognitively disabled. And this idea it's that like, it's not like we're trying to be ableist towards them. It just may seem like it, it, like yeah, it, it comes happens. off weird. Exactly. Because we're just so worried about being seen in this way as we see it towards them. And so we're in the, in the moment that we're trying to create a life for ourselves. We're excluding the life for them and we're pushing them away on the other side of the street and being like, no, no, that's not me. I'm over here. I'm like you. And it's like, well, who are we? Why are we doing that? Why would we care about a group of people who don't even care about us at all? And they put us all in the same group anyway. So why not live your best life and enjoy the community that you care about instead of fighting so hard for someone who doesn't want you? Yeah. Um, I, I really, I have gotten talked down to in public and stuff. And it's funny because one time I was at the like airport or something and some lady refused to just like even make eye contact with me, but then proceeded to talk to my parents about how she, she was sending some healing power to me and like how I'll be healed from whatever I have. And yeah, it was very long and whatever. But at one point, my mom was like, she can talk. She has a master's degree. Yeah. TS, I mean, TSA is a whole nother world. It is it, it, every time we go to the airport. It's just oh, like no, a, it wasn't even TSA. It was just oh, some random person in the airport. Oh, just what? like literally she stood there for like five minutes staring at us for like only for her to come over and start like saying all this stuff to us. It's so, it's, it's so funny how often people will talk to anyone but us in a situation about us and just. And I even tried to talk and she just like, she pretended she didn't hear me. Wild. It's so wild. Yeah. yeah not wild at all. Like it makes absolute complete sense and doesn't surprise me in any way, but it's still wild. So back to your like other stuff. So do you have like any specific career 
or career goals that you're either working towards or plan on working towards right now? Yeah. So at the moment, I have several, I've written several features and pilots centered around things like HIV and disability and just my life in general and just, you know, stories, comedies that I'm looking to get produced and finding out and finding an agent for those specifically, a literary agent. And I'm working on a novel right now, a coming of age novel, young adult stuff that is just important to me and like closely tied to some of my life growing up. And I just trying to pursue that. And beyond that, now that the writer, now that the writer strike has ended and the SAG strike is coming to a close and, you know, it's auditions, it's theater, it's film and TV and just building that career and just trying to find a healthy balance between being a, a working actor and living my life with, you know, my wife who's also a working actor. And doing that and balancing our career goals and wanting to work on projects together and write plays together and write shows together, which we are actively looking at doing as well. But yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, interesting for the disabled community as actors and performers and in the television industry. And we're getting closer to more appropriate representation. So I'm very excited about that, where we can get involved into characters that are well-versed and and fully dimensional and not just based on a disability. I always prefer to the old kind of roles we would get as on a very special episode. So it would always be a thing of like the entire role is centered around the disability. And the only reason this character exists in this world is to teach some sort of lesson about disability. And that's becoming less and less. And, you know. Yeah, you getting... know what? I actually kind of like um when they have like a character with a disability, but the disability really like isn't even yeah. mentioned. It's just like that's, it's yeah, there, but no yeah. one's like even saying anything about it. I mean, not saying that you should never say anything about it, but it's just kind of nice. Like, it is because we're not we're not defined fully by that. And And that's the thing, too. That's the if I go back really quick when you when you're asking about the TikTok stuff. That's the trap too of like, don't be afraid to like our disability informs us, but it doesn't define us. And so when working on content, don't get worried or afraid that you have to only talk about disability and only make disabled jokes and only exist as a disabled person because it's so easy to get stuck in that trap and be like, I'm just making the same wheelchair joke over and over again. Like I'm more than this. And, you know, and it, TikTok doesn't help because it will tell you when you do something different than what it wants you to do, it will give you a low view count for that. And it'll trick you into feeling like, well, I got to go back to the disability pool. I got to go back and do this thing. And it's like, don't worry about that. Do the thing that you want to do. If there's a sketch you come up with that has nothing to do with the disability, that's fine. You're allowed. You're allowed to be a fully dimensional person who makes jokes about other things beyond just ambulatory wheelchair life. And even when those things are great, when those hit and you enjoy them and you can connect to them, you know, as a comedy writer and as a writer in general, I want to explore. I want to try other things. I don't want to feel like I'm stuck in this. And same as an actor. I want, you know, yeah. I've been go up for things now that are not disabled related and it allows me to stretch a muscle that's different than the ones that are the disabled roles because you know what you're going into. I mean, 
I can't tell you the amount of times I've gone into a role where I know that literally my mobility aid is actually on the audition, not me. And if they're going to make this decision based on if they like the look of my mobility aid, which purely comes down to consumerism and inequality and insurance and all these other things. If I don't have the best looking mobility aid, then I'm not going to get that role, which is an insane thing. That shouldn't that be is so okay. weird. But that happens <laughs> so often. Really? Like, <laughs> now, I've been asked in commercial auditions, do you have a different wheelchair? Pre, like, my new custom wheelchair that I have. Before that, I had a Medicare wheelchair. And so often they'd be like, do you have any other wheelchairs? And it's like, at that point, it doesn't matter who's in the chair. You just want a chair. I won't name names. You just, just want a person in a chair. And like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. So I just hope for for more fully developed roles. And that's what the goal is for the future. I think there is a there has been like some good work towards that lately. Absolutely. I just like I just watched all the light you cannot see or something. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. It's on Netflix. It's about like a blind girl during World War two or something but the girl's actually the actress is actually blind in real life and the whole time it's like it's not that damsel in distress like poor blind girl trying to survive a war like not it's great it's like the total opposite of it i love that yeah i remember when that was um that was uh john august i believe who who wrote that I remember when he was developing that in like 2019, 2018, and he was seeking authentic casting for that. He was really adamant about that, which is great, which is wonderful. Authentic and, and it's a well-balanced character as opposed to, but yeah. um, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We, we are definitely getting there. It's very clear. Every now and then one will slip through, but it's okay. The majority are getting, are getting there. I mean, there's still those roles that are being played by able-bodied people, but, you know, it's less and less now. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I've definitely seen that, especially from starting in 07 when I began acting in LA and just in general, the waiting rooms going from able-bodied actors with like a few disabled actors to just disabled actors has like progressed each, each waiting room over the years. So it's really nice that now the, the pool of actors are genuinely, most of the time, authentically disabled. So I love asking everyone this one question. I I kind of end on it because it kind of ties into the title of my podcast. So how do you think that you're living your best disabled life? I think by being honest, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's about things that are kind of not always putting me in the positive light, like discussing being conflicting myself with the disabled community at times and talking about that experience. I think that that only makes me a more fuller person and makes me more in tune with myself. And the more in tune and more honest I can get, the better I could provide, whether that is as a creator or just as a human being. And that creates more room for empathy And I think that just makes anyone better. So I think just constantly traveling that journey and speaking and talking, talking about it 
It's like being scared in a dark room with a scary, like shadowy figure. If you allow it to get built up and you don't seek it out and you don't shine the light on it, it's just going to get scarier and scarier and scarier. And the more we talk about this stuff, the more we speak out about it, the less power it has over us and the more control we'll have over our circumstances. And so I think by speaking up, yeah. I think it's also, um, it's not about, it's more about like, not like, it's more about what you do with your, like, with your circumstances than like, I mean, if you're like, oh, uh, I'm disabled. If you, if, if you have that mindset that oh, I'm disabled, it's so horrible, then it's just going to affect like every, every part of your life. But if you're like, oh, I'm disabled and I'm a writer and I'm yeah. an actor and I, I'm everything an able-bodied person could also be like. Yeah, the, the world will see you. It's all about like mindset, I guess. That's what I mean. Yeah, no, of course. The world will see you as you see the world. And, you know, I think that's the most important thing is you have the positive mindset. And it's not like. You know, I get worried. I get very cautious with talking about positive mindsets and like things like that because it can so easily morph into like hustle culture and toxic positivity and this do, do, do. Yeah, which I think is like, I meant like a good balance. That's what I like because it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be so positive all the time because there's no way, especially as disabled people. No, no, no. You know. Yeah. stuff happens and the smallest little thing could just ruin your day yeah for sure if you go somewhere and it's not accessible it's just like or someone uh, looks at you a certain way that you haven't been seen in a long time and it like reminds you of your disability yeah exactly anything like that so it's all about like you know your, your mindset like not that you have to be one way all, all the time but no but knowing, yeah, but having, uh, just trusting yourself and, and believing in yourself. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to me. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm looking forward to it when everyone can listen to the episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. I'm, I'm really glad we could do this. Thank you everyone for listening to Living My Best Disabled Life. Tune in next time for the next episode.